We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice-cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome to another Friday edition of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. As always, you can get your Pack-A-Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack-A-Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at cheeseheadtv.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I'm joined by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Andrew, welcome to the show. Hi, Kyle. I am really excited to talk some Packers this week. I was able to attend the Bills game this past weekend, and I'm super pumped to break down that game and the upcoming matchup against the Lions. And as always, I'm a little bit jealous that you actually got to physically be at the game, uh, but it's always good to have some boots on the ground. We know your proximity to the action is directly related to the value of your analysis, so it's good to have you there, my friend. Absolutely. Um, the Packers did get that nasty taste of defeat out of their mouth with a 22-0 victory over the Buffalo Bills at Lambeau Field on Sunday afternoon. Uh, the Pack-A-Day team has done a great job this week breaking down the highs and lows of last week's game. But Andrew and I wanted to take a few minutes to just talk about a few things that have been on our mind all week. Uh, some things that we would really just like to get off our chest. And so, Andrew, why don't you just go ahead and get us started and just get on your soapbox and tell people what's on your mind. Hmm, get on my soapbox. So rant and rave about a specific issue with the Green Bay Packers. What would I choose to talk about, do you think, coming off of this week's game? So I guess this is the part of the show where I get to start my apology tour to Kyler Fackrell. Based on my Twitter mentions this past weekend, people were just waiting to jump down my throat after Kyler's big game. I am here to tell you that I 
will never apologize. <laughs> Tyler's box score looks great. And if you study the tape, he ended up with one sack that never should have been credited to him, um, which was pointed out by some great film analysis by Andy Herman. That's me sucking up. <laughs> and two more in garbage time by speed rushing the tackle who had exchanged his socks for a polyester and concrete blend. <laughs> so, yeah, it's definitely true. It's sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. A great example was on a pass play where Fackrell rushed straight up the field. He got hit in the chest by the tackle. He was totally stymied. He moved back probably four yards. And then Kyler was fortunate enough that Josh Allen scrambled to his side and Fackrell was able to make a tackle. So that play looks super solid if you were just watching the quarterback and, and doing the kind of ball watching that many of us do. But in fact, um, and it, it looked like he did a great job shadowing him. But that wasn't his assignment. He was supposed to pass rush on the outside. And his pass rush was so in, was actually so terrible, he played himself into an important tackle. So all things being said, and I love ranting, I am happy <laughs> Tyler had a good game. The Packers' pass rush has been just so brutal that any positive sign from any player is greatly needed. So as always, I do hope Kyler turns into a reliable pass rusher. I just haven't seen a single thing on tape that indicates there's any chance of that happening. And he's often a liability in containment situations. And that's why I've been advocating so hard for a guy like John Simon or bringing back J. Ron Elliott or, heck, even a guy on the practice squad like, I don't know, Kendall Donerson. So that's my rant and rave. Uh, Kyle, what's your soapbox issue? Obviously, you're still a little bit salty about Kyler Fackrell, but I have to say that is the nicest you've ever been to Kyler Fackrell on this show. So you've come a long way. Um, my soapbox after watching the game on Sunday is going to be to gripe a little bit about the usage of the running backs. Now, I'm not one to rip Mike McCarthy. I actually think he's a really good coach. Uh, one might even say he's a highly successful coach. Uh, but the usage of the running backs in this game was interesting at best and really left me scratching my head at times. And I think you would be hard-pressed to find a Packers fan who didn't want to see Aaron Jones get more carries than he's getting. But I get it. They want to ease him back in slowly. They want to honor the fact that Jamal has been really good and continues to be really good in pass protection. But what really confused me on Sunday, even more than the shortage of touches for Jones, was Ty Montgomery's use late in the game. Now, I love the way that the Packers use Montgomery in the first half. He's a really fun player to watch. He's always really dynamic and exciting. But with four minutes left in the game, when you're just milking clock, why would you have Ty Montgomery in as the grinded-out running back? I think you could make a case that he's probably the third-best option in that situation. But he should clearly be behind Jamal Williams. And then, of course, Ty did have the fumble, and luckily it was recovered by Lance Kendricks, which was probably Kendrick's best contribution of the day. And in hindsight, you know, hindsight is always 20-20, but Montgomery's really the only back in the committee with a real history of fumbles. And it makes sense to a certain degree because he's a former receiver. You would kind of expect that. I think this tells us a great deal about Mike McCarthy uh, and how he has a hard time trusting uh, young players. Um, he would rather give the ball to Ty Montgomery, who's simply not built for closing out games, but he would rather give uh, Ty the rock in those situations and give it to Jamal Williams, whose purpose in life 
is hard-nosed running and punishing defenders between the tackles. So I love our stable of running backs. I'm just confused at the situational usage of them so far this season. Um, but running back may not be the Packers' biggest issue entering Sunday's game against the Lions. Uh, Andrew, what is happening with the Packers' wide receiver group? Well, in short, there are a ton of injuries, and that is a big problem. Devontae's injury on Wednesday was a real kick in the gut because I would expect Randall Cobb to miss the game because his injury is the kind that can linger if he's not given the proper rest. And Geronimo um, has a concussion, and like all concussions, it's a waiting game. Nobody knows how long a player is going to be out with a concussion because there's so many different degrees and severities of that injury. Yeah, uh, the Packers did add D'Angelo Yancey back to their practice squad on Thursday, which makes me a little bit nervous about how they might feel about the guys who are currently available on the roster. Uh, but, Andrew, let me ask you this, just because it's all over Twitter. Is it time for the Packers to bring in Des Bryant? Have you been monitoring my Twitter account? Um, Should I be? No, I was just asking because this seems like you're- a leading question. Simply, if you're asking me about Des Bryant, the answer is no. Des Bryant wasn't very good in, in Dallas last year. He doesn't have the position flexibility that the Packers prefer in wideouts. And he is a terrible, and I do mean terrible, locker room guy. So can can you imagine a situation where um, he doesn't get the ball on a, a play where he thinks he's open and throwing a temper tantrum to Aaron Rodgers? I don't think that would go over very well. Absolutely. It wouldn't be the first time that it's happened. And I completely agree with you. I expected maybe a little bit more nuance to your answer, but you kind of just gave us an outright no. And I would agree with that. Um, I would rather sign Antonio Freeman out of retirement than sign Des Bryant. I mean, that's a, that's an overreaction, but I don't know if the Packers really need to go out and sign someone. Um, I think they could probably take several weeks, uh, for a veteran to really be ready to contribute and earn a spot on this team and any sort of trust with Rodgers. And then by then you're talking about Allison and Cobb and Adams being back and healthy. So, uh, but if the Packers really felt compelled to add a veteran, I would rather them go out and sign someone like Jeremy Macklin over a guy like Des Bryant. Macklin would give you the experience and the speed without all that drama in the locker room issues. Um, but that's just my take on it. Yeah. And it's funny because Macklin is one of those sneaky young guys. He's, I believe still in his twenties. I, somebody may, you correct me on Twitter if if I'm wrong about that, but it seems like he's been in the league absolutely forever uh, because he's kind of bounced around and he he came in at such such a young age. But um, he's actually got probably a little bit left in the tank if if he went out. But in any case, um, while I wouldn't mind that, I prefer working in the young guys and just seeing what they have. I think a lot of the struggles with young receivers in the Packers offense is Aaron Rodgers will not throw it to you until he has complete trust. And we saw that last week where a young receiver doesn't come back to the football and it almost leads to an interception and Rodgers was not happy. (laughs) If he is forced to do that, though, to throw to young receivers, he was put in that situation with Geronimo Allison two years ago. Sometimes we find out that these young guys have what it takes. Jamon Moore knows how to run routes to get open. Marquez Valdez-Scanlon has the speed, um, and, and more speed than, than anybody Rodgers has probably played with. And then Equinemius St. Brown has a big body, has electric movement skills. They're going to be secondary targets regardless to Jimmy Graham and Aaron Jones and Ty Montgomery and Mercedes Lewis and Lance Kendricks probably. Um, so 
let's see what they have early in the season. We certainly hope Devontae Adams plays, but if he doesn't, it's a good good opportunity for the young guys. Yeah, it will be really interesting to see if in that unfortunate situation, uh, which of these guys steps up and plays a big role in this offense going forward, because someone is going to have to catch the ball. Uh, but let's go ahead and move on to this week's matchup with the Detroit Lions, who've been a little bit Jekyll and Hyde this year. Uh, they looked pretty awful prior to beating the New England Patriots in week three. And then in week four, they hung tough with the Dallas Cowboys, who beat them on a last second field goal. I think this is a team that is still struggling to find their identity with new coach uh, Matt Patricia and Detroit might not be as bad as their record suggests, but they are one and three and a week five loss would really obviously send them to a one and four hole that would be really difficult to overcome. So I fully expect Detroit to come in ready to play on Sunday and the game is in Detroit. So, you know, that the Lions will have that home advantage at Ford Field. So, uh, Andrew, what are some things that you're watching for? What are some matchups in this one that you're keeping your eye on going into Sunday's game? There's there's several that I think about um, that are going to be really interesting, but to me the one that sticks out the most is going to be Golden Tate and Marvin Jones Jr. against the young secondary of the Green Bay Packers. That has me really intrigued. I think the Packers are going to have a pretty loaded secondary when you take Jair and Josh Jackson. Now you add in Brashad Breland, and then the returning Kevin King. That combined with the Kenshaw Bryce injury, which should probably force Tremont Williams in to play some safety. I think I'm finally in a position where I'm not totally scared of Marvin Jones Jr. just running free all over the field against Green Bay. And and I think this is going to be a really great matchup and probably going to go a really long ways in determining the outcome of the game, especially if the Packers' offense is a little bit more limited by the younger receivers. Absolutely. Um, kind of on the flip side, I've got my eye on this Lions secondary. Uh, Darius Slay is obviously very good. Uh, but every other cornerback on this Lions team is a huge question mark at this point. Uh, Nevin Lawson hasn't been good, and he didn't practice on Thursday. Um, Jamal Agnew, who I believe is their primary slot guy, has been really terrible. Uh, so let's hope we get Cobb back, maybe. I don't know if that's too much to hope, so that he can torch Agnew in the slot. Uh, but then Tease Tabor is the guy who might be forced into some action if Lawson can't go on Sunday. The Lions took Tabor out of Florida a couple of years ago, and he's just been really disappointing. So this cornerback group outside of Slay should have Aaron Rodgers looking at his chops. And the safety group that's behind those corners isn't really much better. Uh, the Lions signed Quandre Diggs to an extension this offseason, uh, but he's been uninspiring at safety and actually left Sunday's game against the Cowboys with a hand injury, and he's practicing with a cast on his hand and might actually play with that cast on his hand on Sunday. So uh, while the Packers receivers are a big question mark entering this game, the Lions are facing an equally troubling situation in their secondary, and it might just be with the doctor ordered to get this offense rolling and into some kind of a rhythm. Yeah. Are, are there any other matchups that you were looking at that you saw might be interesting? Yeah, uh, one other place that I think the Packers could potentially look to exploit would be the Lions' interior offensive line. Uh, now, Taylor Decker and Rick Wagner have been solid at the offensive tackle spots, uh, but when former Packer and fan favorite TJ Lang left the game last week with that concussion, the interior of that offensive line was never really the same. Uh, Kenny Wiggins was called upon to be Lang's replacement, and so obviously we wish TJ well, and we wish him a speedy recovery, but it sounds like he's going to miss this game this weekend with the Packers after missing practice again on Thursday. Um, if Wiggins or rookie Ty, uh, Tyrell Crosby are forced to play meaningful snaps in this game against Kenny Clark and Mike Daniels, that could mean a really long day for this offensive line. Definitely. 
Uh, this is this is my favorite segment of ours. Um, every week we do go over where the Saints draft pick is is going to end up, and I'm especially inspired to talk NFL draft because it's October, and so the draft is right around the corner, right? Absolutely, it's right. It's like tomorrow. We had Joe Marino on last week, and I just wanted to talk to him about the 2019 draft the whole time, <laughs> which is probably not going to go over real well with the listening audience. But anyways, let's see where the the uh, Saints slash Packers second first round pick is looking at. Uh, the Giants gave the Saints a very little resistance last week, and New Orleans improved to three and one. If the season ended today, the pick would be twenty fourth overall based on the Saints' strength of schedule. The Packers pick would actually fall at number twenty one. So here's an interesting note. I know a lot of people were saying when you pick at 14 like the Packers did last year, you have to take advantage of that because you may never get a pick that high again. I did a little bit of calculations, and math is definitely not my strong suit, but (laughs) taking a look at the famous NFL draft chart, the value of trading picks 21 and 24 would equate to the seventh overall pick in the draft. So that is definitely something to think about. Do we think that there's any chance that Nick Bosa is sitting there at number seven? No, there is zero chance of that. Unless his injury is worse than we think, and then I don't yeah, know. Yeah, all know, bets then, are off. Then that's a scary proposition. Right. Anyways, this week the New Orleans Saints host the Washington football team on Monday Night Football. Obviously, Washington proved they can compete with good teams, but they will definitely have their hands full with that high-powered Saints offense. Do you want to give us a little bit of an update on the injury status of the Green Bay Packers this week? Yeah, for sure. We wanted to wrap up the show with a little bit of an injury update. Uh, We've already touched on the plague that is ailing the wide receivers. All three of the Packers starting wideouts did miss practice on Thursday. We did see Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Graham back at practice on Thursday, which is a good sign. Both took it easy earlier in the week, which was the same schedule that they were on last week. And Graham could be in for a big target share on Sunday with the current state of the Packers receivers. Uh, one new injury that was added to the report on Thursday was that safety Kentrell Bryce was limited with an ankle injury. And to muddy the water further, um, Jermaine Whitehead did not participate in Thursday's practice with an injured back. So while wide receiver is certainly obviously hurting right now, the Packers have a shortage of health at safety as well. And we might just see a bigger role from second-year player Josh Jones or um, maybe if we get creative, throw Tremont Williams back there if Bryce can't get right before Sunday. But to end with some better news, Kevin King has been a full participant in practice all week. Uh, so let's hope that shoulder and that groin injury are behind him. Um, maybe he can play wide receiver this week. Who knows? He's tall enough. He's fast enough. I don't know what his route running looks like. We we should have asked Joe Marino to break down his college tape because I'm sure at some point he probably lined up on the offense. That's a huge know. missed opportunity. We should have asked Joe. <laughs> Absolutely. So that is that is all the time we have. This has been the Packaday Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit, and you can find me at Andrew Mertig. Remember to follow at Packaday Podcast as well. We are also newly on Facebook, so check us out and give us a like. I am currently working on Andy to get us on MySpace as well. So pretty much MySpace is just going to be Packaday, Tom, and myself. (laughs) So remember to subscribe to the Packaday Podcast on whatever your favorite podcast streaming service is. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike and Tyler. And make sure you listen on Sunday to Dan and Chris as they get you ready for the game. 
You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. We'll be back next week with a preview of the Packers Week 6 matchup with the San Francisco 49ers. Thanks for listening, and as always, remember... At the midfield marker and third down. Snap to Rodgers, rushes on, steps up, scrambles left, lots of left side, Montgomery wide open, sideline, 15 to the 10, inside the Buffalo 10. They're going to mark it just outside the six-yard line, 42-yard pass play. Packers third down, goal to go, the three. Rodgers looks it over. Out of the shotgun. Takes a handoff to Montgomery, dumps it over to Jimmy Graham, left side of the pylon, touchdown! Jimmy Graham enjoys a Lambo lead. Rogers under center, Jones alone back. Handoff Jones, oh, left side, 35, outside to number four, left side by 45, 50, into the 45, taken out of bounds, near the Buffalo 40-yard line. A 29-yard field-flipping play. Second down for the Packers, 13 yards to go. Receivers left and right out of the shotgun. Rodgers with Jones to his right. Takes the snap, looking left. Looks the middle, pops it over the flat. Right side, Jones gets a block. He's to the 20, down the numbers, to the 15. Near the 13-yard line, first down, and the Packers are in the rail red zone. 17-yard swing pass. Current drive, eight plays, 80 yards. Out of the shotgun, Rodgers looks it over. Slot left, single receiver right. First and goal, Give Jones around the left end, makes the turn, bulldozes his way, hands off, touchdown! Aaron Jones, a Lambo lead to the south end zone, stands its 12-0 Packers! Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.